Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome back to the Sports Medicine Broadcast. We're here with Michael Hooper, Armed Forces Athletic Trainer. We're live at the Dragonfly Max Podcast Lounge in Las Vegas, NATA. 2019. Join us on the conversation at sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash armed forces. I'm your guest today, John Seco. Mike, welcome to the broadcast. Thanks for having me. Love to have you. Happy to have you here. So, Mike, tell us who you are, what your story is, and, and, and you know, you're, you're a unique guest I think we have today. Well, how far do you want to go back? Let's keep going. <laughs> we got some time. Uh, Michael Hooper. Uh, I am an armed forces athletic trainer. Been uh, been in the setting for about 16 and a half years now. Came from the uh, professional football ranks. Mm -hmm. um, kind of, you know, grew up around the military. My father was in the military. A bunch of family members were, and uh, as I was for uh, for a few years in the army, uh, kind of sparked my interest a little bit. You know, not really a whole lot of athletic trainers. Uh, you know, 15, 20 years ago in right. the uh, in the setting, but. You know, having come from from the military, seeing some of the injuries, sustaining some of those injuries, and you know, looking at it, it looked like a you know a good opportunity. You know, as I got into the profession of athletic training, that you know uh, uh, a much needed resource inside the community. And there's several others that uh, that got in there before me, but you know, this has been a uh, this has been a, a a very beneficial you know setting for me to work in it's uh probably one of the most rewarding ones that i've uh, that i've been in and unfortunately i've been in i've been in them all i've been in the clinical setting been uh you know high school secondary school yeah. and college athletics professional athletics and uh i can easily say without without any hesitation hands down the best uh, the best setting that i've ever worked in so what exactly is your setting uh, in the military i work for the department of defense more particularly the department of the navy uh but the athletic training setting as a whole, I mean, we're spread out all over the place. It's not uh, just one one location. There's Army uh, Army athletic trainers that are that are in the basic training commands from the entry level position where a you know person comes off the street and wants to wants to serve their country and go into uh, into the process. We have folks that are in regular regular commands, uh, you know, throughout the throughout the United States and even overseas. We have athletic trainers that are that are working in the special operations community mm -hmm. you know so we were spread spread all over the place yeah last night i actually uh, ran into uh, 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 somebody that um, works in hpo with um with the air force yep. so i got to have a conversation with that and it's it's interesting because i believe over the last couple of years we've noticed that military setting is an emergency emergency setting oh absolutely right? but you just stated you've been there for 16 years there's been people there before that or now we're seeing the importance of it because the amount the the population size really of of the, the armed services yeah and and it really has kind of blown up over the last four or five years mm -hmm. yeah i mean even before before i got there there was athletic trainers working in the setting all the way back into the you know 90s i i think the success that some of the athletic training uh you know population has had within the setting along with you know fighting a war and a significant amount of musculoskeletal injuries right. being sustained and when you look at the big picture that's the that's the overall number one impediment to operational readiness is musculoskeletal injuries i mean the department of defense spends a significant amount of their budget trying to 
mitigate those and, and return those back to duty. So it is a, a, an ideal scenario and setting for the skill sets that this, profes this profession possesses you know, to be able to utilize those and, and, and do it for a, for a bigger cause, not to, you know, take anything away from a football game or a right. basketball game or anything like that. But, you know, when you look at it from a global perspective, you walk in, you know, to a football game, you walk back home, uh, you know, and have dinner with the family, you know, mm -hmm. if there's a, a, an issue that or a limitation for a military service member, you know, that may be the difference potentially between life and death on the battlefield. And, and, uh, and I know I take that very seriously and, right. and my counterparts that are in the setting do as well. So it's important that you were in the Army before. You, you're, you're a vet. And to have that understanding, other people that are going into that setting that don't have that background, what are some of the things that you can tell them so that they have an understanding of the setting that they're going into because it is very unique to be with the military. Yeah, it's funny. We just had this conversation for two hours in a committee meeting just a few minutes ago. But um, to me, an injury is an injury. Right. It's a different uniform. It's a different. It's a different game. But the the manner in which you handle uh, handle an injury, an ACL or an ankle sprain or a shoulder rotator cuff tear, is 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 the same. The, the advice that I always always try to give is is look at it as a as an opportunity as a as a different setting, and try to try to ingest all you can from you know by observation. Look at the activities that they do, the the physical and physiological demands of, of the job that they do, and that'll kind of help you tailor and and kind of develop your your treatment strategies and plans based on that. I mean, even though I was in the military, that was you know that was uh, you know several years ago and then looking at the 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 you know the the makeup of the soldier and, and even more importantly as you get some of the special ops guys that come in there the makeup is is very different from the entry level person to to that level so you know there's constant tailoring and you know modifications that have to go on for those for those programs and processes and rehabilitation strategies but all that comes back to uh, you know a general theme that you observe what is you know what the population is you observe what the physical physiological psychological demands of the job are and you start to kind of develop a, a you know a template for lack of a better word on on how to attack some of uh, some of those things you know it's a constant learning process you know i've been in the i've been in the profession 25 plus years now and every day i try to learn something right. something new that's going to help me out or help me pass on to the, the person that eventually comes and relieves me when I decide to, you know, to call it a day. Right. So you work with the Navy. Mm -hmm. What are some of the uniqueness part, something different in the Navy than somebody that works with the Marines or somebody that works with the Air Force? Is there any differences, any, anything unique versus uh, within the services? I, I think so. And again, it, it all depends on where, where you're at. If you're in the basic training commands, you're going to be getting folks that are, that are 18 and 19 years old that, you know, are, are never are, run are, before are full of, full of energy. Yeah. And, and the good thing about it is, you know, the recovery process at 18 is a lot more, uh, a lot more rapid uh, than a recovery process when you get into some of the special operations side where the, where the age of, uh, of of those individuals is a lot uh, a lot older you know mm -hmm. you're looking at you know some of those in the late 20s 30s 40s and even some into the into their 50s 
so the the strategy is significantly different, you know, than it would be with a with an eighteen year old, and that's going to be service, you know, across the services because the Army has their entry levels and mm-hmm. special forces, the Navy, Marine Corps, all of those guys have the same thing. It's you know, again, rolls back to that common theme of uh, observing and knowing the population, the demands, and and, and what needs to be tailored because there's going to be you know, similar things and, you know, different, different mission sets. I mean, the Navy, you know, we have a, you know, guys on a ship, you have the air force where, you know, guys are, you know, their special operations guys are, you know, jumping out of airplanes. You know, it's a, a different, uh, a different mentality. You've got younger Marines that are throwing on 80 pound rucksacks and, and yeah, no, marching yeah. from Las Vegas to California, right. it seems like sometimes, but you know, Again, you look at the age of that and the, and the turnaround time for some of those is a little bit different. So I was in um, a session yesterday and then a, a year ago, I had listened to uh, Dr. Nettles talk about, um, you know, the difficulties of doing rehab protocol stuff like on a ship. Mm-hmm. Have you, do you do any of that? Are, are you ever on, on board or are no, you? I've never are been you on a ship. Okay. Uh, I'm a land lover. Okay. I don't like the, uh, I don't like the water. That's yeah. the reason why I went in the army and not the <laughs> Navy. But, uh, you know, the the only limitation, my opinion, my mm-hmm. opinion only, the only limitations that you have is uh, between your ears, right? You know, and and imagination. You know, all I need to all I need to get strong is gravity. You know, I figure out a way yeah. to do it. And if I don't have weights or or bands, God bless me with these two hands that I can that I can utilize. Yes. And you know, and I and I still do that, even though I have a, 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 an extremely large amount of support, mm-hmm. and you know, a, a facility that is that is comparable to some of the ones that I've had in, in the college setting and, and even the professional sports setting. But I still use manual techniques probably as much as I do any any modality or machine just because, you know, I, I like to create the interpersonal type connection. But, right. you know, I've also had when I started in the in the in the setting, I had a athletic training room that was a, about 500 square feet, you know, so and it was cramped yeah. with two people in there and you get four or five guys in there, you know, you were, you know, like twisting to get around people to do stuff, but you know, you, you become innovative at that point. What's the, we're seeing this as an emergent setting, right? We're, we're seeing people talk about military and athletic trainers within the military. On the other side of that, what's the, um, what's the feel from the military on athletic training? I, I think it's getting, it's kind of taken off like a uh, like a an indie car okay. you know you you know 10 15 years ago we were just even though we were in the setting we were you know just starting to get a little bit of traction when i started you know in 2003 there was i think 50 athletic trainers mm-hmm. i mean i'm not sure of the uh, the official number but i think we're over 300 now okay and the benefits, the return on investment that a lot of the a lot of the athletic trainers are are providing are are getting noticed, and you know every every you know every few years you get this uh, you know an expansion during the war after the war effort kind of dies down you get a you know a mass exodus and they start to trim the force a little bit, you know so the assets that they keep and, and the personnel that they keep on uh, on active duty, they want to maximize the, you know, the, the outputs and the effectiveness of that force, which is, you know, where we fit in perfectly. I mean, you've got, you know, these multidisciplinary teams with, you know, now that are the template that has come from 
Olympic sports or the college right. and professional sports, they're starting to, you know, develop and put those into in at the ground level so the, the guys don't have to go all the way to the hospital they have rapid access to to that multidisciplinary team of athletic trainers and physical therapists and strength conditioning coaches and dietitians that that you know help maximize the machine right. and and it's proving to be extremely beneficial to to the point where now these things are being developed all over all of the service branches right so that sounds like there's a great access to healthcare for our service members. Is it any different from the guys that are going through basic, through the special operators? Is there a difference in the the, the level of care, or um, you know, the, the access to care? Is there greater access to care with the operators versus the basic? You know, I I would you know kind of compare it to uh, you know if you look at a high school or you look at a Division one college, or you look at a professional team, you're going to have access to care, and there's there's assets that are embedded, mm -hmm. but you also have to look at the at the volume that comes through there. I mean, when you look at a basic training command, they're going to have tens of thousands that come through there on a yearly basis. So, you know, if you had the access level that you did in the special operations side, where you have very small communities. You know, yeah, there's going to be a difference in, in the care. There's going to be a difference in the access, you know, access, and, and there's going to be a, a difference in, in, you know, some of the things that are being provided just because of sheer volume and time. I mean, we've got guys that, that have been in, in the same in the same teams for, you know, 15 years in the basic training commands or in the general, general purpose forces. They're going to be there, you know, for eight weeks or up to 20 weeks, right. and then they're gone. Or if they're in a general military force, four years, and then they transfer out to somewhere else. So, you know, the embedded assets and the access to care is is vital and has proven dividends. But to answer your question, I think there's there there, there will be a difference. You know, the the money that's invested. I mean, obviously, you want to you know take care of your of your assets that you need to sustain for a long period of time that you're going to call on frequently and, right. and, and utilize to a significant amount, you know, the same way as, you know, I, I remember hearing a story, uh, you know, several years ago, one of my, you know, football, uh, you know, pro football guys and, and one of their big names, I won't, I won't name drop, you know, walks in and, you know, pushed a, uh, a guy that was just playing special teams off the table. And he goes, well, you know, I'll treat you fairly, but I won't, you know, treat you equally because when the game's on the line, you know, I have to rely on this guy to, yeah. get, to get the job done. But, you know, I try not to, you know, I try not to use that personally, but, you know, I can understand the, the situation is when, you know, th this guy is a, uh, an asset and a, and a high level asset, you know, I, I'm going to have to, you know, prioritize things for that person over the other. And, you know, and that kind of leaks down the line, but the, the amount of care and the, and it's, far and beyond what was ever there when I was on active duty and, mm -hmm. uh, and in the military. And, you know, it's nice to see it grow. It's nice to see it because, you know, these guys at, at a moment's notice will lay their life on the line for, you know, for this great country. And it's nice to, you right. know, to be able to provide that to them, yeah. you know, to sustain it. Yeah. I, I, years ago I had applied for a job, um, at, at the Academy with, uh, with their club sports teams. And, and one of the things that I was really drawn to was you, you you feel that higher purpose of your job. I think every athletic trainer should have that purpose of what they're doing, why they're an athletic trainer. You're providing care for student athletes, it, whether it's through the secondary school, through college, through club sports, whatever it is. Um, 
but I really felt it when I was at West Point and I really felt it um, going through and, and meeting some of those soldiers and, and meeting with the people that are around there. You just have that, that feel, that general, what I'm doing has a greater impact and could have a greater impact with this athlete or this soldier than potentially something else. Uh, and, and that's, you know, like as you're talking, I'm, I'm kind of picking that up as, as you have that feel and you have that understanding of um, that there's something else a little bit bigger than just a game on the line. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, are there any stories, if you care to share, from your years of experience working with the Navy you know, that you'd like to share? Oh, there's... Thousands of stories. I don't know if I can I can share uh, share many. No, no Friday night stories. Yeah, no, we'll no talk Friday about Monday through stories. Friday afternoon. Yeah. yeah. You know, when you look at it, and there is a higher purpose. Mm-hmm. There is a, a a different calling, and and the the profession or, or the setting is is not for not for everyone. Right. Um, I think the athletic training uh, profession as a whole is a very caring and emotionally involved and, right. and emotionally attached. You know, whether that's the, the high school athletic trainer that, that doesn't get paid a whole lot but still is out there every day at the grind, it's no different from, from the, the military setting. I do, you know, look at it from different places that I've been in the military and you get the same, the same stories, and it's hard not to – not to want to give everything you got and exhaust everything that you can for a guy that, you know, will essentially, you know, burn himself into the ground, right. you know, to, to, to save, a, to save another person. Or, you know, you, you see the movies, you see the stories and I'll be some of those, uh, you know, Hollywood glamorified, but, you know, but the, the, the concept and the, and the, the, you know, same mentality still exists you know you see a, a grenade get thrown and the guy shoves him out of the way and he takes the blast that right. that or you know a, a, a person getting shot at and the guy jumps in front of the front of the bullet you know that that's a mentality that is is across the service and you know there hasn't been a draft since you know in 50 almost 50 years right. you know so every single one of the 1.3 million you know military members they all raised their hand and volunteered, and mm-hmm. and you know that's that's something that's hard to really comprehend. That you know, gosh, I could you know be today in in Fort Bragg, North Carolina, or Fort Benning, Georgia, and tomorrow be in Afghanistan or Iraq or right. you know wherever wherever the you know the calling may be, and you know that that to me when you when you have a guy walk in at at four o'clock in the afternoon and you're getting ready to close your you know training room door or athletic training room door, you know that. that you know, it's it's hard to hard to say no to that. You know, and, and I've talked with my wife, you know, a, a bunch of times, and she finally just joined in and, and works for the works for the military now. Right. You know, can't beat them, join them mentality. Yeah. And now she goes, okay, I understand what you're saying. Is that you know, just say no, and and that's hard to do. Right. And especially when you see, you know, you see the sacrifices that some of these men and women make. And it's it, uh, it's pretty special. It's a lot easier to say to to, to oh, do yeah. that. When, oh yeah, I'll be a yes man all day long. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, do you have anything you want to share? I, I'm, I'd love to hear some something good and. Gosh, I, I, I mean, context. I mean, I, I, there's there's a million stories and a million success stories where you you know you have guys that are you know that that have these catastrophic injuries mm-hmm. that, you know, whether that's war or training or whatever, because the I mean the jobs that a lot of these guys do are very high risk, and, you know, 
and I guess it would be success stories. I mean, you know, and, and they're abundant. I mean, you have guys all over the place that, you know, when you look at it and they should never walk again. I mean, right. we just saw a video yesterday in one of the military in one of the military presentations that, you know, you got a guy that's a, a, a you know, was involved in an IED explosion and blew both of his legs off below the knee. And, mm-hmm. you know, and, the, and now the guy's back operating with, with you right. know, prosthetic legs, you yeah. know, and doing box jumps with that. I mean, you know, that's things that, you know, when, you know, when you get up in the morning, you're going, I don't feel like doing anything. And you're okay. Well, that you look guy, at that stuff yeah, and that it makes it, it makes it. change to him yeah. really fast. Yeah, doesn't yeah, it? I mean, so, I, I mean, like I said, every single one of us have, have a success story like that mm-hmm. and, and have, uh, and, and have crazy, you know, crazy stories where you're like, how in the heck did that happen? You know, and then you go, okay, well, it doesn't matter how it happened. You know, well, let's, let's get it back to, yeah. get it back to where you need to be, you know? So I, I, I don't know if I could, you know, really give you a specific no, yeah. because yeah. there's, there's, uh, there's a lot of those, uh, a lot of those specifics, but you know, it's, uh, you know, there's success stories all over the place and, and crazy, crazy things that happen that, you know, you don't get exposed to. I think now that the, the NAT is doing, doing a phenomenal job at starting to hone in on some of these things and, and, and change some of the practice now, now that some of these emerging settings are, are right. coming about, you know, to, to look at, you know, how can we better equip the incoming athletic trainer and better help them transition into the, into the field. So, you know, you don't see too many, you know, you know, amputees or gunshot wounds or, 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 you know, the backside of explosions in, uh, in the uh, in the collegiate you know football or athletic setting, right, <laughs> or right. in your curriculum, yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, Mike, I I've enjoyed this tremendous amount of time. Um, people that are going into the armed services or, or going into uh, athletic training in the armed services, if they have any questions, how can they reach you? Yeah, I mean, quite honestly, I mean, we have a Armed Forces Athletic Training Society that has has a, a, a website, afats.org. They're on Facebook under Armed Forces Athletic Training. There's a significant amount of information. There's also contacts, you know, from the Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, Coast Guard, you know, that are listed on the website. You know, and there's links on the uh, on the NATA website under under COPA. Uh, and there should be a military uh, a military page on there that provides some information, right. but you know we're all we're all eager to uh, to answer any of those questions. As a matter of fact, that was you know some of the topics that we talked about. How can we better educate the educate the masses on what we do and answer questions for people that are interested? Because the interest has has exploded over the last few years, and you know over the next few years there's several jobs that are being created, you know, and and, and opportunities as we as we move along, and you know. It's there. The information's there, and we're all open to uh, to answering whatever question we have because we're passionate about the about the setting. We're passionate about getting people to provide the the level level of care to our service men and women that that needs to be provided. Right, and that's a good thing. I, I'm I'm so happy to hear that 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 people are chomping at the bit to get into that setting to provide care for the ones that are providing care for us. Yeah, yeah. And like I said, it's special. Yeah. You know, it's hard to. Uh, it's hard to look at the amount of destruction that these guys, you know, do to their bodies mm-hmm. and neglect themselves for the betterment of others or for the protection of others. And, you know, when you, uh, you know, uh, the only thing missing from this conversation is a, is a big American flag waving right, yeah. in the background. We but, can edit that yeah, in somewhere yeah, over there. Yeah. But, get it. You know, if, if we could, uh, if we could throw that in there, that would be it because, you know, I, I feel strongly about the, uh, about the setting. I feel mm-hmm. strongly about the, the profession and 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 the potential rewards that uh, they could be provided 
you know, not only for the for the caregiver and the provider, but for the the, the service member that's receiving that treatment. It's a it's a, a very rewarding uh, rewarding setting that uh, you'll you'll sleep uh, you'll sleep much better at night knowing that that you did good for somebody during the day. I think that's a great place yeah. to stop right there, yeah, Mike. Thank you very much. Thank you everybody for joining us once again. It's John Seco, Mike Hooper here at the Sports Medicine Broadcast at the Dragonfly Max Podcast Lounge. Thank Thanks you very for having much. Me. Absolutely.